At this time, I'd like to invite up our guest preacher this morning, originally hailing from Jacksonville, Florida, Bo Evans felt the call to ministry fairly early on in his adult life. He came up to Pittsburgh where he went to seminary at the Trinity School of Ministry and also met his wife. They had been married for 13 years with three children. Bo is an ordained Anglican minister, currently on staff for pastoral care at St. Joseph's Villa Retirement Community in Flowertown. He is part of the Diocese of the Living Word, which has held a multi-day conference here at Lighty's for the past several years. So Bo is actually very familiar with our facility already. We're excited to have him join us for worship. So Brother Bo, please come share with us from God's word this morning. words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be forever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I do want to say thank you and greetings from my own diocese. Like, uh, like Tim said, we have come here once a year and you have opened up your doors to us. Uh, all of the pastors in my uh, denomination and in my uh, diocese uh, including my bishop. So we greatly thank you for your hospitality. Thank you. <laughs> um, when I was asked to preach this, uh, uh, this, this I, I know that you are going through John's gospel, and you're actually having a lot of different people come in as guest preachers. Uh, I love John's gospel, by the way. Uh, not being here when everybody else preached, I don't know what everybody else has said. I don't know what people after me will say. I don't know if I'm going to steal their thunder. Um, but what I do hope is that by being here, by opening up the word, I just hope to bless you, to encourage your hearts, and to point to Jesus in all of this. Um, like I said, I love John's gospel. It's actually, uh, he, he's very direct and very simple with what he says. It's always, Jesus did this, or Jesus said this. It's, it's very simple language, but in all of it, he's actually uh, put such rich depth, spiritual depth, into every single word that he, that he chooses. For instance, when Jesus uh, is, is speaking to crowds, he often uses this phrase, I am blank. These are known as the I am statements. Uh, they're, they're actually cr incredibly important for a variety of reasons. It's, I actually went through and, 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 and listed them out just so I could uh, uh, tell them to you right now. Uh, first is I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. These are familiar to us, right? Before Abraham was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the door that the sheep come through. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the true vine. All of these are in John's gospel. You will find them scattered throughout his, his, his book. These do two things. They talk to us about Jesus' character. Right? There's something powerful when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me will not die but he will live, right? There's something about Jesus being communicated to us, about what he will do for us. But there's even something deeper than that. That formula, I am, 
should be very familiar to people who of the Jewish background. Because that's the same exact formula where, where God conveys his name to Moses. I, exactly. Someone's, do you want to preach? No? Okay. <laughs> you're, you're just agreeing with me so much. It's awesome. Thank you. It's like every point. It's so good. No. I'm just turning to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is, is putting up some barriers as he's being called to go back into Egypt and rescue God's people. Oh, but I can't speak. Well, I'll send you with Aaron. Don't worry. But who will I say has sent me? Because they're going to question me on this. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Which we actually, if you go back into the original Hebrew, it's Yahweh. That's what that means, I am. And he said to them, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. What better way to describe God than I exist? There has never been a, a, a time where I didn't exist. There is no beginning, no end to me. In fact, time itself has its meaning in me because I created these things. Jesus is actually referring back to that name. It's very intentional. So I mix about this. And John is very intentional about including this. So I mentioned that there are seven of those. Seven of those statements. There are also seven, we'll call them signs. Seven miracles that John records. It's interesting that it's a seven and seven, isn't it? Now, there are more miracles that Jesus performed. It's just John has recorded these particular ones that um, in his gospel for a very good reason. For, and we know them, right? The wedding at Cana, he changes water into wine. He heals an official's son just at a distance. Your son is healed and the official goes back. His son is better. There's a lame man who's raised up at the pool of Siloam. Then we have the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water, which we have as our gospel lesson today. This is why I'm bringing it up. There's the structure. It's important. There's healing the man who was born blind. And finally, we have raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, these are two, basically, parallel structures that go through John and tell us something about Jesus. Tell us who he is and what he's here to do. Because both of these things are actually pointing to something even greater, even better, which is the cross, the resurrection. The ultimate sign of who Jesus is, the ultimate sign of what he has come to do, which is our salvation, raising us up from the dead. These signs and these I am statements are pointing directly to the cross. And we're going to get into that because we're going to talk about two of those signs. The feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water. So right now what I'm going to do is just walk through the gospel lesson uh, just to uh, pull out some things that, that are important to, take, to, to, uh, to, ha- to know as we go through it. Now, this won't be everything. There are more things that I could say about all of this. Um, but, you know, you always want to keep a little bit back, save it for another sermon. 
So first, Jesus has just come out of uh, kind of an argument, if you will. Uh, I mentioned the healing of the man at the pool of Siloam on the Sabbath. That's an important detail that I didn't mention earlier, but it happened on the Sabbath. So naturally, some of the leaders of the Jewish faith come to him and challenge his his authority to do something like this. Who are you to heal on the Sabbath? It's holy. You're not supposed to do work. Jesus clearly has uh, the power and the authority to do whatever he wants. But even greater than that, it's pointing to that God is here to save us. He's here our bodies. He's healed to, here to raise us from the dead. And this is just kind of a sign of what's that's, what that is going to, uh, of how that will happen later on. So of course he's going to argue with them and show them this is the authority by which I do this. So that's what he's just coming out of when it says after this Jesus went away to the other side. That's what he just did. Having this discussion about No, I actually can heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant for healing. It's meant for us to have a uh, a relationship with God in which we are restored. And he's showing that restoration actually takes place not just in our souls, but in our bodies as well. (laughs) So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So there again, John doesn't record every miracle that happens, but he mentioned to these stuff happens. Okay, It's just that he draws our attention to these seven ones that, that he mentions. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now I want to pause there for a second. There are two things that I want to pull up with, with when he mentions the Passover. It immediately connects us to two different events. One is the, is the Passover that happens in the past. Moses going in to release God's people. God in his power sends the ten plagues. The tenth one is the killing of all of the firstborn in Egypt. But... The Israelites are spared from this fate. God passes over their house, right? That's where you get the name from it. And that is the tenth, uh, the final plague in which Pharaoh then lets the people go. But then his heart is hardened, and what happens? They are pursued all the way up to the Red Sea. God again miraculously parts the Red Sea. The people pass through, and the Egyptians are drowned. And then after that, In their wandering around the wilderness and in connection with Mount Sinai, they are fed miraculously. Manna from heaven. They didn't have farmland. They didn't have a place where they could grow their own crops. They had nothing. They were wandering around. And how were they going to eat? Well, God fed them himself. Over and over and over again, God rescues his people in a powerful way, which they could not do themselves. They couldn't. That's the context of Passover. But like I said, the old pa- two different events that, are t- that we want to connect to. The old Passover and then the new one that's about to come. If you look forward, if you fast forward into John's gospel, 
Around the Passover, Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples. He is arrested, he's crucified, and three days later, he rises from the dead. This is connecting us to that as well. It's pointing ahead to what Jesus will do. The people here had no means to eat. They would have gone home hungry. They probably wouldn't be able to cook up a dinner before they have to go to bed. It wouldn't be good for them. But Jesus provides a meal miraculously. In the future, he's going to do something even more powerful. He's going to save our souls when we couldn't do it ourselves. This passage is pointing ahead towards that. See, there's always this deliberate uh, intention for what John is doing when he's telling us about these stories and, what, and what's the surrounding um, theological importance of it all. So lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus turned to one of his disciples, Philip, and said, Where are we to buy food, bread so that these people may eat? And, and John has this little aside. He says, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, I mentioned that the Passover is kind of this backdrop to what's going on around him. God tests his people. He really only tests his, his own chosen people. When we have been chosen by God, when something, uh, when something draws us to him, after that happens, God is very intentional about testing our faith. Not to, not, but to see if we have follow him or not. But to see if we have our trust to put ourselves in him. Into his hands. Into his power. When, when Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, he has trust that God will do something miraculous through that. He doesn't know what it is, but he knows that Isaac is supposed to live, so God's going to do something. And, and on the mountain, on the, at the very moment when it's about to take place, God provides a sacrifice instead. When they are wandering through the desert, like I mentioned, and they don't have food, or they don't have water, God tests, it says it tests him. It tests, he tests his people, to see if they will trust that he rock, or So he provides water out of a rock, or manna falls onto the ground every single night from heaven. God always tests his own people. So here Jesus is doing exactly what his father has always done. He's testing his people. He's tur he turns to Philip and says, where are we going to buy bread for these people? Which is interesting, Philip being from this area would probably know. He probably knows who the baker is. Probably knows who to go to to get some food. But Philip, always the practical person, answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little bit. Now a denarii was maybe about a day's work for a laborer. So 200 is, if, I, if my math is, is right, just over about six months of labor. 
So if you take your salary, divide it in half for the whole year, and you donated that to Jesus in that moment, that maybe would buy a morsel for everybody. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's thinking. So he's not exactly passing this test with flying colors right now. But that's never the end of the story. Ever. Failure on his part does not mean that God has to throw up his hands and go, all right, plan B now. When we are tested by God, just keep in mind that what he wants from us is faithfulness. And even if we are going to fail in our power or in our willpower to do some of the things that he wants, that's not the end of the story. Ever. I want to remind everybody that when you are in those moments, it's not the end of the story. Jesus has the final say in everything. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Can I, so I, it, it, um, Tim mentioned that I am an Anglican. I don't normally get this kind of interaction from the crowd. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you. Keep it coming. It's fine. <laughs> normally with Anglicans, we have what's called the golden nod of assent. When, when I'm saying something that, that Anglicans agree with, we'll just, okay. that's it. That's all I get. So I'm, I'm loving this. Keep it coming. God takes us when we are broken, when we are failures, when we are weak, and that's when power can enter in and change the whole situation. That's the important thing to know about this story, about the, the gospel of um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we are weak, when we feel like we are failures, it's in that moment that God can enter in and do powerful things to bring us out of that place. So the story continues on. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So again, there's this practical uh, side to the disciples. They aren't seeing the bigger picture, which is kind of crazy when you think about how Jesus has done things in the past that they've witnessed, right? They saw him change water into wine. How is this going to be any different? But they, don't, they just don't remember that. They don't recall it in this moment, which is maybe like a, 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 something that we can keep in mind ourselves. A, we are forgetful. Even when God has done something amazing in our lives, we are forgetful. But again, that's okay. Failure is not the end. So yes, five barley loaves and two fish. Not enough for all of this, but hey, this is what we've got, Jesus. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, when it says men, it's very intentional. It's talking about the, the men in the crowd, but there were other people who were present. I will not venture a guess as to how many actually were fed, but it's safe to say that it's more than 5,000. 
Okay. This, by the way, is where the disciples kind of fade into the background in John's gospel, right? Have the people sit down. So they're going around. They tell everybody to go sit down. And then that's kind of it. Jesus, every, it all focuses back on him in this moment. He starts to um, do all of the work. Now, in, all, in the other gospels, the, the disciples become table workers, essentially. They pass out the food. And so as they're going around, they're, they're seeing this, this bread and, this, and, the, and the fish kind of multiply, and they're going, where is this coming from? But in here, in John's gospel, the focus is actually on Jesus, on his action. It's his power that's at work. So the disciples are kind of disappearing into the background as, as, as the story goes on. So Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. The, the, the actions, this is kind of an aside, but the actions are the same as in a Eucharist service. It's in the same as uh, when Jesus took bread, broke, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. It's the Last Supper. It's the same exact actions. Just a little aside, he's, he's pointing us again to something bigger that's going to happen. And they had as much as they wanted. Now remember, they're thinking, you know, if we had six months of wages in our belts right now, we might give everybody a tiny piece. But here, everybody eats to the max. They eat their fill as much as they wanted in that moment. And when you incorporate some of what the other gospel writers said. They've been out there a long time. They're probably very hungry. So think of this as a much bigger meal, like Thanksgiving. They had as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Overabundance. When we talk about how God can sustain us, can bless us, he gives more than we could ever need or think that we need. That's the power of the gospel. When we look forward to the cross and the resurrection, when we look forward to the fact that Jesus is filling our lives with such spiritual blessing and forgiveness and grace, it is an overabundance. It will cover over everything. There is nothing that we could do that would separate us from God. The power at work in us is beyond our imagining. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 is telling us today. So if we move on from this story, I'm going to pass over, if you will, uh, the part where he withdraws because they're about to make him king. And come to, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum, 
Capernaum was where they was kind of their home base. That's where Peter lived. That's where Jesus was uh, had come to and met Peter. It's kind of this place that's like a home base for them as they traveled around Galilee. Okay, so they're heading back home essentially. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water, on the sea, and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. There are moments in our life that can be kind of scary. Uh, before, uh, so, so uh, Tim mentioned a little bit of my bio. I work for a Roman Catholic nursing home, essentially. Uh, I, I help serve uh, mostly Roman Catholic uh, nuns. Kind of interesting. It's, a, it's in Flower Town, but also lay people as well. Um, near the end of their life. Some are paralyzed uh, due to strokes. Some are wheelchair-bound. Some are bed-bound. Before this, I was also a hospice chaplain. So to die at some point. came to me. I had the expectation that they were going to die at some point. And 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 I would not only talk with them about what they're going through and pray with them, but talk with their family as well. There are times in our life That's scary or hard. We were kicked in the teeth. When we feel like we're down for the count. And it's in those moments, like I said, that Jesus will come to us. We are never, ever alone. Uh, Part of my testimony, I shared it with Tim before I came to you this week. uh, Just to kind of share a little bit about me and what... um, where I'm coming from as a, as a Christian first, but also as a preacher, was that when I was 18, I was feeling very lonely and angry with God, and I was in, an, in a chapel, kind of similar, it, it, had, it was on a, a campground that was uh, run by my diocese at the time. And it had windows a lot like this, not stained glass, but windows. And it was on kind of a nature preserve. So it was actually a very beautiful site, like wall-to-wall um, windows like this. So it was, it was a very peaceful place. And I remember going to it and having it out with God. I, I was really angry with him. I talked with him. Talk is kind of pejorative. Um, I was definitely yelling at some points. But at some point in the middle of all that, I calmed down, and I could hear that God was with me. I don't know exactly how to, else to explain that, but in, with my spiritual ears, I could hear that God was with me. And in that moment, he said, you are never alone. Through thick and thin, I will always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He was able to convey that to me, and that's the moment that I really turned to him. I've been raised in the church. I've been um, <laughs> baptized as an infant, if you, <laughs> if you will. But every, everything that I had 
learned and gone through in church finally made sense in that moment. I don't know if you're going through something right now, but God is walking with you. The wind may be blowing hard against you right now, but he is with you. He will come to you. We can trust in that. We can trust in the fact that when we are broken, when we have meager offerings to him, he will take that and multiply it. He will satisfy our hunger for him. He will satisfy us with salvation. This is what I want, uh, what I felt that God wanted to share with us today uh, as, as we look at the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water. These are signs to us that point us to the cross. These are powerful things that Jesus has done that no one else could do. But even better than that, they're pointing us to something even greater. That he would die and rise again on our behalf and we have eternal life, not just after we die, but right now we have power working in us that is renewing us day by day, that is empowering us, that is forgiving us, that is filling us with grace. Are there things that you are worried about right now? Are there things that you fear? Are you going through something right now that is difficult and hard? Maybe there's not enough money in the bank. Maybe we ourselves, maybe someone in our family is sick. Maybe we ourselves are sick. Is there something that you need saving from? Is there something that you need to be forgiven for? Do you need wisdom and discernment? Then let us turn to Jesus, who demonstrated in power that he is the source and of salvation for all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.